Hey everyone, what's going on? This is Brian Porter. We are here with Tonecast 65. Today I'm going to be joined by a good friend of mine, Ken Stortz. He is in charge of a school called Visible School in Memphis, Tennessee. It's actually a school that I attended and met my wife at this school. So it's obviously a very significant place for me. And um, I'm going to talk to him a little bit about the dynamics of running a music school in this pandemic and in this crazy time that uh, we're in right now. And I think it's going to be a really cool uh, conversation. I'm looking forward to to sitting down with Ken uh, via phone and talking with him just about how he's adjusting to this. Because again, as we talked about through this summer, we're going to be looking at a lot of different perspectives from the music industry. Now we're going into the music college side of things. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that Ken walks through that's going to be a little bit different than some of us in the you know in the manufacturing industry or the artist industry, but he also trains artists and he equips musicians to go out into the world and to play gigs and, and things like that. So this is going to be a fun conversation and I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we'll get to that in just a minute, but I do want to mention our pickup chooser, something you can go and fill out on our website. If you go to our homepage at porterpickups.com, you can find the pickup chooser form, fill that out. Let us know about your guitar. Let us know about your gear and your musical styles. And we'll actually send you a personal recommendation back with some pickups from our lineup. And speaking of pickups, we spent most of the morning this morning recording some new pickups that we're working on and uh, five different things, different new things all at once. So it was a little bit of a crazy morning. And um, if you're hearing noises in the background, um, we're still building away while trying to get the podcast recorded. So again, like we mentioned in the last show, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on uh, all at once, but we kind of need to cram it into the day because we've got a really busy week in the shop. Uh, but let's go ahead and jump to that conversation that I had with Ken, and uh, hopefully you enjoy that. All right, so we are here with Ken Stortz, and uh, Ken, how are you this afternoon? Doing great, man. Good to good to hear your voice. Glad yeah. to be here. Yeah, likewise. And so I mentioned that in the intro, um, I've known you for quite a while. I mentioned that um, I went to the Visible School, which we'll talk about Visible School in a second, but uh, how it was a big turning point in my life. Obviously, I met my wife there, um, and... And kind of made the decision to still pursue guitar stuff, um, but maybe not in the way that I went to the school for. Um, you know, mm-hmm. going to the school, trying to still holding on to that dream of being a, a rock star, I guess. <laughs> and then, um, right. then going into, well, maybe I don't want to travel. Maybe I, I'd rather just do something else, guitar. And so um, that that's kind of uh, always been my great connection to you and to the school. Is just uh, so many great life events. I, I think that was kind of a hinging point in in my life. So, so as, as we get started with this, for those who don't know about visible school, why don't you give yourself a quick introduction and then tell us about visible school? Well, uh, I am Ken Stortz and I am a guitarist and uh, worship leader and speaker writer and uh, really ultimately a songwriter in Christian music and, um, uh, found myself uh, launching an educational entrepreneurship uh, project in Visible School in 2000. But prior to that, uh, got my degree in uh, originally classical guitar and then music production and then a, a master's in uh, music composition. So kind of a theory nerd and uh, kind of a prog rock guy and all the, you know, King's X fan, et cetera, all that stuff. And then in the nineties, me and a couple of buddies 
started a band called Skillet in Memphis, and um, we got signed pretty quick, went on tour. I was like the band manager and a little bit older than the other guys. And um, my experience was really the uh, the scene behind, you know, I'd been through college for music and really seemed like that didn't really prepare you for anything real in the industry. I'd been in church where it seemed like, you know, outside of a few places of discipleship and programs like that, you know, you just really didn't get real training for the job there either. It was more uh, just get you out there doing something. And then uh, ultimately the music industry wasn't what it was supposed to be, you know, behind the scenes, it all was different. And, you know, people just don't share what is really supposed to be happening. I thought, man, in 2000, I started Visible School, which is now Visible Music College here in Memphis. And just trying to get real musicians focused on the Christian community and uh, people that are in the church or, you know, doing Christian music or just Christians doing music out in the mainstream more and more. And, um, you know, have the discipleship element of Christian ministry, but real world uh, training within the industry, professional side, um, and then college credit for that. We, so we have an accredited certificate, bachelor's and master's in music, music production, and music business. And uh, yeah, it's been going great. It just, it just, my problems with college, church, and rock and roll <laughs> turned into, <laughs> you know, creating a new college. So now my own sons, both as of this semester, both go to that college. And, um, you know, take saxophone from Kirk Whalum and, you know, uh, trombone and, and just do music theory. And some of them might be in my classes this year. But it's just uh, it's a blessing. I two two boys and a wife here in Memphis and love this music town. And I love helping music entrepreneurs get started of every type. So, yeah, that's awesome. And, I, and we'll talk a little bit about the Memphis uh, music scene and music community uh, in a little bit. But. Um, I, I had forgot that you had some classical guitar background. I just I didn't really see you as a classical guitarist, but maybe yeah. <laughs> maybe there was that you have to do the whole growing your fingernails out and all that good stuff. Yeah, well, so what's what's funny part of, it's part of my story because I love classical music and I started you know I was just like a theory guy in bands uh, as a high schooler and I started playing classical guitar um, and reading Bach organ books just on my own and learning what I later found out was modes, you know, in uh, my first year of college, you know, I looked for a rock school. We went to out to EMI in Hollywood and my best friend went there and I decided, you know, I think I want an accredited degree and I'll go somewhere uh, like a smaller school in Memphis. And then I ended up being like the one guitar major on campus and it was very classical. And the guy teaching me was a doctoral student at the local you know, university. And we did flamenco for a year because that was my favorite thing. And uh, so at one point I could burn some 30 second <laughs> note flamenco stuff, you know, and I emphasize at one point because yeah. yeah, I grew my nails out recently and tried again. And I was like, man, these old hands are going to take a while. So I, <laughs> You know, yeah, I had probably I think I had, not the classical player I used to be, but yeah, I think I had two semesters in community college of classical classical guitar, and I 
I wanted to do music and, and I got into it and I was like, well, at least this is guitar. And then the whole first like two or three lessons were on growing and manicuring your nails. Yeah. And so, so I'm like, what yes. am I getting into? This is, this is crazy. And, and like, I understood it eventually when you got into the technique and why you need to have the right curve on a nail and, and all that stuff to pluck the strings. But I'm, I'm the same way as you. I'm like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I should try to do that again. I'm like, yeah, no, my fingers are done at this point. It's way too hard, man. <laughs> it's what, yeah. So, so you go from that to, uh, to skillet then, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so then was it kind of just always the, the excitement of rock music and rock and roll that kind of led you to starting up that band? Is that sort of what the, the foundation of it? Well, I, I was very, I was, I mean, actually I was into pretty soft pop music as a little kid, but when I first heard Ozzy and Randy Rhodes, this is a guitar podcast, right? We oh, don't yeah. have to explain. Oh yeah. Okay, good. So, I mean, when I first heard Randy Rhodes, I was like, okay, that's me. That that's I, I'm now that. So you can see the <laughs> classical influence there too. And then uh, heavy music I loved. And then uh, I was very interested in how music impacts young people and just gets people involved in in a community or in the church. Definitely draws people together, draws people to you know the message. And so a lot of what I was writing was you know. Christian songs and just experiential stuff. And so it was quite natural to get involved in pretty small genre, but at the time was very much on the rise in the mid nineties uh, for kind of Christian heavy music. And I, perfect for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, we'll jump into like some gear talk a little bit later, but I'm curious on like that, you know, what, what was kind of one of your first guitars when you got into the more rock and roll music, what were, what were maybe one or two of your main axes at that point? Yeah. Well, I bought my, I bought my first Sears guitar at, for 40 bucks. And mm-hmm. then nice. after a year I said, I, I thought legitimately I got it. I'm better than this guitar. So <laughs> I saved up my, uh, my uh, pizza route money. Uh, I saved up and bought a, a 82 Strat, uh, right before they went bad. And, um, Really a stock, you know, Hendrix-looking, cream-white strap, rosewood fingerboard. That's my baby. And to this day, honestly, I, I still go back to it. So You still have that guitar? I still have it. It's oh, now man. natural wood because I stripped it like an <laughs> idiot when I was 19. I stripped it and put a Kaler on it and all that. Oh, wow. So you went through the relic phase yourself, right? You didn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I totally just I, – I took a screwdriver and caved out a – carved out a back, you know, front side of the for the floating tremolo and all that nice nice but um <laughs> so yeah, that's one of those was, guitars that's worth nothing to anyone else but maybe like it's priceless to you right exactly it is it's price and my son uses it in his new wave band playing 80s music now so it's like uh Full but circle. i won't let him use it because he leaves it in the car i'm like no that's priceless that, yeah. that cannot get taken you don't understand that's worth a lot of money to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I like how you mentioned before they got bad because, yeah, there was some fenders in that point that, that really got a little weird. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Man, yeah, that's crazy. I, I love the old guitar stories because you always have those, either the ones that got away or the ones that you've you've had forever. And we talked about earlier in the podcast yeah. this summer, just I've got a couple of those kind of guitars where you kind of grew up with them. And, and some of them were the... You know, I, I consider them sort of the initial inspiration of what I ended up getting into, which was messing with guitars. In high school, I, you know, I modded strats and, 
And, you know, strats are such a great guitar to modify because you can just put a new neck on them or swap out a pick guard. And, and that's, right. that's kind of what got me hooked initially. So it's funny that you mentioned that you had a strat early on. Yeah, no, that's my, it really ended up being my main one. It's got, you know, the pickups are just screwed to the wood and like Van Halen style and still from that era. That's um, awesome. <laughs> I, I had, I had a GMP when Skillet started. We had a small company out in Southern California to, uh, uh, you know, uh, promote us, whatever we promoted them. And, uh, it, I had a beautiful pawn shop special. It's called the, the GMP and it got stolen. That was probably, the only one that ever vied for a, it was like a single F hole 24 fret. I think, you know, it was just a really sweet guitar. Um, and then one telly that was just happened to be a good one about 15 years ago, a silver sparkle telly that really had a nice, nice tone. And, uh, I, I traded it for two guitars. And I should have still not ever done it, you know? <laughs> Yeah. I think we've done a couple of podcasts about gear regrets and it's like, exactly. it just kind of hurts every single time you talk about it. Even, yeah, you know, yeah. I, yeah, we, we have six kids and, and we've, I've sold so many guitars to pay for childbirth and, and you know, <laughs> yeah. moving and all this stuff. I just, I should have named my kid Gibson and Fender. Exactly, and, you know, man. it's just like, man, but, but I guess you move on and then you still have those old flames that you're like, man, if that ever, you know, if you ever find that guitar that got stolen, like, it's, you know, you, you'd give your life savings practically for it, right? It's true, man. It's true. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to transition a little bit into kind of what we've been talking about as a podcast this summer is just the kind of the, the pandemic that we're in right now and, and how people in the music industry have adjusted to it. We've talked to artists and, and we're going to be talking to some venue people. And I really would love your perspective and your story on, on how this impacted uh, you guys as a music school, as a music college. Um, so, so talk to me about kind of when the, when the news came down, when the, when the shutdown started. Kind of talk to me about kind of what, what you went through uh, decision-making-wise as a school. Yeah. Well, uh, Visible Music College is built on the concept of small communities. And so we, we've launched four campuses even though they're small, like with 20 students, that kind of thing. So you do your college courses already by nature. We were doing like a lot of Zoom classes and, and access by uh, recording over the internet, stuff like that. And so uh, when we finally realized, okay, this is for real, we're going we're going down after spring break, we, um, we shifted to 100%, you know, online classes. And um, we've kind of continued that opportunity today as we reopen the campus we have a high regard for physical presence and community but we gave people the options and for the first time ever the complete option of doing our our curriculum fully online from never having come to a campus um, which we're not excited about but we're sort of you know seeing that via reality um and uh, we're, you know, middle of our very first week right now of classes being completely accessible online. Um, and, you know, I have some students that we have, we, we have more students than we've had in the past even, uh, but they, I've never met some of them. That's so crazy. it's a little bit odd, you know, it's not how we like doing stuff, but um, it has been a pretty smooth adjustment. Um, and I, it's kind of like a smooth adjustment that I hope doesn't last <laughs> Or, yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, 
sounds like at least you were you were experimenting and already partially down that path of of pivoting to online and and probably in a way it was a blessing in disguise that you kind of knew what you needed to do at least to to get the whole yes. thing online right yeah it it was really just managing people's expectations because they had never done it before and but our our staff are fairly young and you know music people and a little bit techier than most colleges maybe and so we we went pretty smooth over and uh you know if i'm honest the 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 government money that supported those changes for students was generous and uh been been helpful for a small business nonprofit like us to do some innovations and get more students involved in training which is you know i just continue to try to get people to commit to music as a career uh, and just don't commit to trying to be a star and making millions, <laughs> just commit to doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? But as far as, I mean, I, you know, people now are attending your school, but they're actually in their local communities. Have, has, have you seen any kind of advantages to some of that for some of those students? Um, you know, I think it's coming. Um, that, that was actually our plan is to plant out these little, you know, person in this community, and then you you develop, you have a band class, but you just do it locally with people there and verify that credit. And you don't have to leave everything behind the job, the community that you're in, and you can get a degree in music, but it's not a cheap degree. You just got on a laptop. It's actual practice out in the community. So we did one run with a group in Pennsylvania a year ago where they did it all together, 12 students. And, uh, you know, 11 of them made it through. They got, some of them got jobs and you know, it was a one year, one year test. And uh, we're seeing that. I think it's the future, honestly. I'm, I'm working with a global uh, cohort this year, which is in uh, Brazil, India, Czech Republic, and Cameroon. And those guys are all into music. They can't come to the States for sure now. And um, they're going to start just doing their own right-priced online courses from there, and they'll be leaders in their community to pass that on to younger kids. And so I'm I'm pretty stoked actually about that. Yeah, part. that's awesome. I think I mean I think one of the things that you know when all of this hit, you can either freak out or you can look at it as an opportunity. And yeah. and, and there's certain parts of it that suck if we're really honest, um, but there's other parts yeah. of it. It's like well. Now look what what you can do with technology. Now look at um, you know ways that we can you know we're we're dealing with all these Nam shows being canceled and all this stuff and like well now we can't get our products in front of people but at the same time we have access to their pockets with um, with their phones and we can show them yeah. you know hey you can modify your guitar and um, you you know you and I were talking before we hit record here but just about how how music as a whole is going to be shifting a little bit too where you're going to have yeah. to, you know, you're going to have to consume music a little bit differently. Even, even going to a guitar store is a little bit weird still, uh, right, yeah. right now. So, um, that's, that's definitely crazy. Um, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about that too coming up, but, um, I do want to shift to something that uh, you've been writing a blog series called music is important. And, and I've read, yeah. read a couple of those and, um, I'll, I'll figure out a way to link to that, that people can um, check that out. But, but maybe talk about why you launched into those, um, those blog posts about, you know, obviously we all feel like music is important, but maybe what spurred that on for you? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I started a blog because I was, you know, talking every week to the staff and kind of keeping people 
doing really short promos of the school, very, very short and collecting stories. And I was like, so much good stuff happening. I thought, you know, let me, let me just tell one good story a week. And I started off with music is important, which is my key phrase when I'm telling people about visible music college, I just start with, Hey, we're not just talking about, you know, entertainment or something. Also the icing on the cake, we're talking about music and it's important. And by, by the time I got to music is important. Number eight, I was just sort of, I didn't ever intend to call it that. See, it was just <laughs> going to be the Vizaprez blog, you know? And, uh, I was like, I think I have a lot in me to stick on this thing. And it's, you know, it became, okay, let me bear down on every week thinking about different aspects of music and why it's important in the community and in our personal lives. And uh, so I've, I've, you know, I'm all about 15 of them now and, and pretty excited to do it every week. I, I enjoy doing it. And it's a, it's a personal expression of mine. And uh, one of the things that I know will come out of that is just the diversity of what I personally experience and promote to other people to experience. I always try to convince people to look at other genres and other people's music. Um, and so I guess it's going to be a platform for me to talk about all kinds of music. And given even what's going on in this country of people misunderstanding each other and just, you know, I think music is one of those things that's it's healing and it's always been that way for me. And it's a part of my life across culture, you know, it's cross culturally. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a pleasure to share it. I hope it's, I hope it blesses people. I'm kind of, kind of new to the world of blogging, but I enjoy it. <laughs> well, I think it's cool because it's kind of like, it's just that whole not forgetting the original reason why you love music and, and why you're doing what you're doing for your job, yeah. you know, it, it kind of yes. like, one of the reasons I went to that school was like, I, I just don't want to do anything else other than music. And, yeah. and I wasn't prepared for the, the answer I eventually got, which was I'm going to make products for people to make music and yeah. I'm not going to be the one making the music. And, yeah. and that was a, a complete kind of like, Oh, okay. Well, I wanted it to be this way, but I'm actually really grateful that it's, it, it's still a way that I can do that. And, and for me, it's kind of that like, you know, what is important in this time, we had to really get back to our core as a business and saying like, we're trying to inspire people with products that make them create more music. And you're on yep. the side of like, let's make sure they are educated and make sure that they are equipped so they can t continue to do that. And so it's, it, a lot of it's kind of yep. very, very similar in the things that, that you and I are chasing. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, we, you know, we had a marketing meeting this morning for next year and it was, what are, are we it's not just about us here. It's about what we're given that person. And it's something to do with empowerment. You know, uh, I'm not going to make you a star. I'm not going to make you even successful. I'm going to work towards that. But what I'm really giving you is some power in your hands to know how to do this. And uh, I, I hadn't thought of it in terms of, you know, with pickups and gear, you know, but that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is the stuff, you know, you can't do it without it. And in the inspirational level of good gear is what it's like that first strap. I could not have gone any further on the butterfly guitar from Sears. 
you know, I, I needed the you scraps. Could have gone, you could have gone further. I bet you could have a little bit I farther. don't know, man. <laughs> I was bloody my fingers every night. And I was like, I think these are supposed to bend a little easier than that. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Nice. So talking about just kind of that original, like starting the school, having the passion, seeing, seeing a need. Um, talk to me about those early days of kind of building, um, building your team, building the people that would help you um, yeah. get off the ground. Cause I think that, that too is also similar to finding the right bandmates and similar to running a business, all those things, you know, talk, yeah. talk to me about the value of, of finding the right members for the seats on the bus, if you will. Well, Yes, I think everybody should start a business uh, every year just to practice being miserable. Um, <laughs> I, <think laughs> I mean, sorry, that's not a good start. But, um, you know, just like being in a band, sounds great until you live with them, you know. and yeah. um, <laughs> until you have to you know, travel I, in, a, in a stinky van <laughs> and, and you got money for one taco from Taco Bell, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Tough times come. You're looking around at each other. We, well, we got to eat one guy. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I you know I think I learned through the years both both positive and negative experiences running the business. But um, uh, I still want to hire my favorite people. They, they may not be my best friends, but they really are my favorite people. And I this this is you know you'll read business books against this, but I hire quality people, and I will find a role that is positive for the school for them to do. Now they, they may not be full time, you know, because you can't just hire everybody you like, but it really is about finding those people that are dedicated to that same vision. And early on, you know, I had probably 50, 50, you know, it was just some people didn't understand it through no fault of their own. They weren't a good match or whatever, but, um, uh, a lot of people gave a lot of work over the years to help, me get where I am and the team now, you know, we're, you know, 90 plus percent of the people are there on the same mission and, and the other 10% we're trying to help them come on board or move on to something that is their mission. And, uh, I consider it an honor to lead people and, and to pay people. So it's, it's cool. I, I, I suggest it for everybody. If you want to grow up, you know, get married <laughs> or start a business, same thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's like, it's like a butt kicker, but then you get up and even if you're just like, man, I don't want to face what's going, I'm going to have to face today. You still go because you're like, what's the alternative McDonald's or <laughs> exactly. whatever. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's people say, man, it must be so cool to, you know, have, because uh, we, we have a showroom in our shop now and it must be so cool to yeah. have the showroom with all these guitars hanging up and you get to play all, guitar all day. And I'm like, I've played less than I ever have. <laughs> And exactly. I'm sitting here around more guitars than I've ever had, but yep. it's not, that's not how it works because, <laughs> you know, I look at a guitar in the wall and I think, oh, it needs new strings or it, I need to modify it or you oh, know, yeah. it needs to be out of here because it's been in here for a while. Or, you know, whatever the, whatever the thing would be, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's kind of that intersection of passion and, and, uh, you know, just the, the need to get the work done, you know, it's like, yeah. it's, it's super enjoyable, but Maybe talk to me about kind of how you make sure that you keep that that original passion intact because I think it's probably yeah. you know like like I face all the time and I'm sure even more so with you, all the responsibilities that you have. How do you just what things do you do to kind of to keep that that fire alive? I guess. Yeah. Well, 
you know, I teach a class in our master's program on entrepreneurship and, um, it, uh, it's really based on, but sort of knowing that you're not able to do everything, like just accepting your limits at some point, you, you they'll, they'll come to you. If you don't accept them, they will come tell you about them at some point. Yeah. And, uh, hopefully not in a medical way. So you just, <laughs> you need to get yourself sorted first. So, um, for me, uh, I am, I, I hire people that are better than me in finance and better than me in HR and better in, you know, teaching voice and stuff like, you know, so I can feel confident they're, they're doing their thing. And my, and my thing really, you continue to refine until you find exactly what you are good at. And I think that's, you know, I find myself, even though I'm not excited to raise money uh, for a college fund or something, you know, I am excited to tell the story of, of the school. And so I get to tell the student stories and I, uh, you know, I'm teaching the psalm writing class this year, which is I'm excited to get back in the classroom. And, you know, in two years, I'll be excited to get out of the classroom, you know, right. <laughs> um, but I dip in, you know, I I, uh, I I visit the different sites. I like to travel, so I'll visit sites and churches and just talk to people about what Visible could do better. And uh, so you're working on your business instead of just in your business. And um, I play a little bit of music. I'm playing. I got a record coming out this year finally, and um, got a, a concert this Friday with uh, the students. And so I, I keep my chops barely alive, but <laughs> my, my creativity is really more in the business and the partnership than it is, you know, uh, playing modes or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about kind of this, uh, this new record you got coming up. Just it, has that, this has kind of been a, a side project that's been floating around for quite a few years now. Uh, yeah. Ta- yeah. Talk to, talk to the listeners to, I guess, just about what this is and, and cause it sounded like, I mean, you, we're talking about passion and you bring up the band. So I think that they're still, yeah. that fire's still there. You know, you're not going to yeah. be a uh, world tour in any time, anytime soon, probably, but you know, right. it's, it's still there. So talk to the listeners maybe about that, uh, that project. Well, uh, you know, before I was in skillet, skillet was like a high point commercially for me, you know, touring and, and recording and label stuff. Um, and then, you know, I chose to leave that to do, the next generation, which was great. But immediately I got back with my buddies and started a three piece band where I was the the master on guitar and I could, you know, screw around a lot and not be messed with harmonically. Uh, anyway, <laughs> or, or I could not mess somebody else up harmonically. Right. And, uh, so the beep is sort of like a, I call it electro punk. It's heavy music with some, you know, there's beats and things like that from the early 2000s to last year. I, I continue to write all the time. It's sort of like, a, it's called This Is, This Was, The Beep. And the name of the band is The Beep. And uh, it's songs that we did, some some even recordings. We're going to throw some demos on there and stuff like that from way back and do a double vinyl or a double folded single vinyl record and just make it sort of, hey, this is a piece of art that covers two decades of my life uh within this one context of the beat and uh so there's a couple of christmas tunes that are heavy and uh you know passionate emo inflected 
early 2000s rock or something and and now it's kind of coming back to radio so i don't know maybe i'll go on tour to russia next year i don't know um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> so you're running like um kind of a effect wise on your guitar what what kind of stuff are you are you running some fuzz are you running some distortion what's kind of the the flavor yep. of some of your guitar tones well, uh, there's there's a variety throughout, um, but my main rig is so simple that it's embarrassing to be on the podcast with you. But <laughs> it's going to be essentially I'm going to tone judge you here coming. That's up. right. Yes, <laughs> uh, stock eighty two Fender Strat, right? Yes, with, you know those same pick. I put I put some heavy stacked pickups or whatever rails, all kinds of stuff in there. I never like them better than stock pickups. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. And. Um, the uh well stop me if stop me if you've traded them out for some porter pickups because i may have forgotten what so you know i don't think i've ever done that on my strat but um yeah i don't remember uh, i don't remember that's okay i'm not offended i'm not offended okay okay (laughs) i think they're stock pickups yeah so my strat and then man my rivera m100 has served me for 25 years just beautiful class a hand-wired amp just nice nice high bias on the tubes coming unglued all the time. It's just like just about to break up and kill and then so smooth in the middle. And so I love that amp and uh, I go straight to the amp with a, I've got like a, I think it's an old boss delay and a, you know, Dunlop wah pedal. Um, Josh, I don't think there's any, I had, I, yeah, I had the Daddy-O forever as a little you know, early Dan Electro pedal. I haven't messed with it in a while. I think I finally just killed that one. It's mostly, mostly straight amp sound. And then something I did in Skillet, I'm bringing that back, and that's using my early GR um, pickup from the, with the Roland synth system through the amp. So it's guitar and keyboard in, through two amps distorted sort of – I guess stereo, it's two different signals, you know, so it's really, you know, two mono signals, you know. And so it's going to be a little electro sounding a little, when we went industrial in the in the late skillet stuff that I did late nineties, I'm bringing that back with something more, a little more raw, not as pop as that was. And so um, pretty basic, I guess I said it was basic and then I started going into guitar synth. So um, <laughs> no, it sounds like, it sounds like sort of a, you know, your gear is like on the organ trail and, and whatever dies, you know, it just gets left behind and you're, <laughs> and you're still trying to go, you know, get to, get to organ kind of thing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love I, it. Yeah. I'll tell you, I mean, this is, this is sort of the anti-gear statement, but I, I did a show once in California where I said, Hey, just get me a strat. I'll be fine. You know? Nice. So nice. I'll, I'll fly in. And yeah. they gave me literally a strat with a cable. <laughs> I was like, Oh, <laughs> like, I'm I about guess... to play a punk rock show with a strat into a DI. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> so, yeah, that'll be pretty. Uh, that would be pretty uh, uh, jangly and almost twangy in a way, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Well, I think there's something to be said too about the simplicity, simplicity stuff. I mean, I've always been a clean amp and a neck pickup guy. I mean, if I had. You know, a lot of yeah. people have those single bridge pickup guitars. I mean, I could go the opposite way. I could be like, give me a neck single neck pickup guitar and yeah. I'd be good, you know, with some some big clean headroom. 
maybe something that would break up after a little while or something. I, I, I'd honestly be okay yeah. with that. Not, not that I could make all the music that I'd want to make, but as far as just sitting in the, in the living room and jamming, uh, that would be where I would stay, yeah. stay most of the time, I think. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's I'm 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 usually on the other end with the brightness and the the bridge pickups or want you know first two positions that direction and then uh, maybe it's just to cover my voice. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I got yeah. people guessing on the tone so much that so like <laughs> didn't notice I could only sing. You know, yeah, B plus or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> whatever you got to do to make it make it happen for rock and roll, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, let's talk about kind of as we get near the end of the show here, but let's talk a little bit about the music community in Memphis. Um, I know that you're, the school now is uh, right in the downtown Memphis area. Memphis has an amazing uh, music uh, history and tradition yeah. and still does. And and talk to me about, um, you know, the, the scene right now with uh, music in Memphis. And, and I know it's gone yep. through a lot of transition and changes and, and so many amazing songs have been written there, but but as you look at, you know how it's how it's got to a point, and then the pandemic hits, and kind of, you know, where where what's the pulse of the the scene there right now? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, weird time right now. Uh, I, I've got well, four of four out of five people living in the house here are, are musicians and doing stuff in the industry, and um, you know, we're all just kind of moving along you know memphis memphis has an amazing history and if you if your listeners don't know the memphis story you, you kind of you really miss how much music of american music started out of memphis and through the gospel blues jazz uh r&b rock and roll all and, and within blocks of where we are you know we're we're like at the corner of bb king and madison avenue which has sun studio right down the street and the home of the blues and all kinds of stuff, just Southern gritty soul music. And so you have this long tradition of people being really creative in Memphis and then going on somewhere else to become famous. And it's, uh, it's, it's both good and bad because people can feel like, Oh, you know, Nashville is the place where you make stuff happen. And people ask me, you know, let's do, you know, why don't you, do a school in Nashville, which we probably will one day, but it's kind of like, I, I told them, you know, that's like the dining room of music and Memphis is the kitchen. <laughs> th th this is where you, you come back here to just get started and get raw, inspired, soulful stuff going. Um, it's the most written about city in all of songwriting. It's the most mentioned. And, um, Currently, it's you know there's not a lot of live shows going on, but people are doing uh, second line music outside. Um, Bill Street, some of the clubs are doing you know smaller versions of big horn bands, and uh, you know some of the songwriters like Julian Baker and um, I'm trying to think of who else is recent out of here, but um, that stuff is all more house shows and stuff like that is going, but. Uh, we're usually overlooked for major tours. So it really hasn't changed a whole lot other than the entrepreneurial spirit has been big in Memphis forever. Uh, I've actually had two friends move from Chicago to Memphis during the pandemic because it's just got something about it. It's just a little more welcoming and you can live on very little money. And I mean, I invite your listeners to to learn about Memphis and, and come come get your soul back here. You know, it's kind of just that kind of place you can 
you can visit and just see, oh, this is this is how music's supposed to feel, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but that's you know that's because it's based on tough times. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, uh, you gotta live it to to play it sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a sense, you do. And Me- Memphis is that way, sort of. I told people same way with the, the downturn in, in 2012 and stuff like or 2008 and all that. It was, you know, when you're struggling already, it's like, well, okay, there's there's a pandemic. It's like, well, we're struggling about the same as we were, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you just you just kind of get more, like you said, more ready to pivot and get serious about your uh, opportunity. And I think that's what Memphis is—a lot of opportunity. Yeah, and that's that's great. I mean, I I remember just kind of being so immersed into the music culture there and just, you know, being a blues guy kind of to start out, um, you know, it was like, oh, there's BB King's restaurant and you know, we yeah. played at Isaac Hayes place down there and and yeah. just stuff like that. You know, it's like, man, it's just you're here and these are the these are the places and this these are the venues that these guys played in and and just just like I don't know. Being a little bit more connected to the music, I guess, is probably yeah. the best way I could describe it. Um, you know, and 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 just loving that there's so much blues around. I mean, just for me to walk, mm-hmm. you know, as a as a young college kid to walk around and just hear blues guitar everywhere, I was like, this is awesome. I love this, <laughs> yeah. you know, because you know, it, it coming from maybe you know a place where where there's a little more country and a little bit more uh, grungy, kind of heavy band, you know, heavy stuff, which I don't mind either of those necessarily, but you know, just, just love a good blues lick that makes your face crinkle up, you know? Right. Right. And, and it's like, man, you're just hearing this and there's these dudes on the street that are just ripping and you're like, man, this is cool. You know, it's so cool. Totally. So I, I kind of want to end the show with, um, just maybe some advice you'd have for those people who are wanting to get into kind of a music career. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, just, to, yeah. what kind of advice would you give people who are looking to, um, jump into the, the music career right now? Well, <clears throat> you're, you're going to have to market yourself. Uh, so <clears throat> you really need to get, um, you really need to get over that. And, and I think start working on the one thing you have control over, which is you. And ultimately, just like with any business, you know, uh, an artist or music person, you know, you're going to, people are buying you. They're, they're interested in you and and if if you're coming through your songs then you know the only thing you got to work on is is yourself and I think that's a great place to start especially in the pandemic you know uh, I do a lot with young people uh, that, that really think you know hey I really am gonna do a YouTube video and and that's it you know I'm skyrocketing to fame and um, even even if you're Beyond that, you still probably have some areas where you're kind of like, hey, this is just going to happen if I do this thing. And honestly, it, you know, the best you can do is set yourself up for success if those things happen. So I would suggest you work on yourself, your relationships around you, your team, and you get some realistic goals and you just put in the daily work, which is such a boring thing to tell people, you know. All right. Um but that's my, my advice is be, be work withable. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, nobody likes hanging out with, uh, people who are into themselves or they're, or they're not competent in their music. You, you gotta just, I mean, it's high competition, low barrier, high competition. 
So, you know, basically just think of it as, hey, now everybody can find out that you're terrible. So <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> you can't, know. you can't hide really anywhere now. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, all those times where people said, uh, who's the, who's the most obnoxious Hollywood star? Well, now we know that when they're 17, you know, it's like, okay, we, we're not really wondering, <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, just be good to work with, treat people fairly, look for opportunities and man, they're everywhere. If you're willing to do the work, opportunities are in every city, everywhere and I'll, I'll 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 wrap it up with this idea this is what i kind of i tell my people in memphis i'm like okay if you have a live performance at the starbucks in target then you have achieved music saturation in this city so until you get that gig don't talk to me about there's nothing to do yeah yeah because there's some milk toast bland starbucks at the counter <laughs> at the register return register at target and it and i bet they would take live music there so nobody's taking it up on me yet so try it in your city you know yeah <laughs> yeah just so just jump in and get it done i mean that's the yeah. that's the thing you gotta you gotta try just no different than business you gotta you gotta you gotta do it and then you gotta keep doing it over and over and and you gotta get past the uh you know mac and cheese phase at some point right <laughs> yeah yeah, I think, you know, the more the, you can be more knowledgeable every single day and more practiced and more competent. It, it's up to you. And, and and honestly, there's so many books and videos to tell you what to do. And social media changes every 10 minutes. But uh, it's it's about the work ethic and, and treating people well and taking opportunities. Yeah, man, that's awesome. So good. Well, I'm so glad you came on the show today. It's uh, it's great to catch up and uh, yeah. I appreciate your um you know, your our our lives kind of intersecting in the early two thousands, and and just the impact you left on me and my wife, and and yeah, uh, just it's been fun to uh, to continue to to catch up and just to you know kind of to watch what's happened with the school from afar and and what's what's happening in the the music community there in Memphis, and uh, uh, appreciate you being on the show so much, and and we'll include some links to the uh, the visible uh, school and. We'll also include some links to uh, Ken's blog and some other places in the uh, show notes here for you guys to listen to. And thanks so much for uh, checking out the podcast. Uh, We've enjoyed having you all this summer, and uh, we'll catch you next time.